I invite you to take a Bible now and to open it to the beginning of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. And we'll read the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1 for this morning. As a church family, we had gone through the Psalms throughout the year, one Psalm at a time, and now we're beginning a new series. Uh, So if you're even just visiting us this morning, this is new for everybody to be invited to turn uh, to the Gospel of Matthew uh, this morning. And we will be in the Gospel of Matthew up until Easter Sunday. Uh, We won't be going at the exact same pace as we did through the book of Psalms, uh, but we will now be in the Gospel of Matthew from now until we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord on Easter Sunday. But this is Matthew chapter 1, the first 17 verses. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nation, and Nation the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah, the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azer, and Azer the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eliezer, and Eliezer the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. <clears throat> and that's where our reading, our reading concludes for this morning. These are are names that uh, you probably were glad you weren't asked to do the public reading of Scripture uh, this morning like I was. Uh, But we we do know the importance of names, just like all of the the children that we had up on uh, leading us in worship this morning. Uh, They'll tell you if you get their name wrong as you try to pronounce them. Our plan was to, uh, to homeschool our kids up until middle school, and our oldest is now a fifth grader, and this is his first year in public school. And so now, uh, what was for me an experience right away in kindergarten is now for him only an experience now starting in fifth grade. But to hear all the creative ways that people can pronounce his last name, uh, which usually in all the creativity, none of them uh, usually land on the actual pronunciation of his last name, but find unique ways uh, to say his name. Uh, But we know our names and they matter to us and the people who are dear to us matter. And in that way, the writer of the gospel, Matthew, uh, is looking back on time, and he is making a point to record not every name that ever existed. He, he actually simplifies it a bit. He breaks it down into three chunks of 
14, uh, just to give us the highlights of different names. But there's a point that he's making as we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that part of our understanding of the goodness of Christmas and that what has happened in the coming of the new king is to understand a bit of the story from which this king came. Uh, But part of this genealogy is to remind all of us that what we're celebrating at Christmas is the newborn king. There's a way in which we celebrate uh, any child that's born, and we thank God for the sacred gift of life, and and we honor all life that God has made. Uh, But Matthew is already drawing our attention in the way he opens his gospel in the form of this genealogy to say it's not simply good news that a baby has been born and is precious, but there is something unique, and this is the newborn king. So simultaneously, we have uh, an awareness of uh, a baby that is vulnerable as all babies are and is dependent on, on parents and has a history like all babies do, but also a recognition that there's a sense of royalty, there's, there's power, there's, there's implications in the birth uh, of this child that transcend uh, what is the reality for, for many people. Not most people uh, have the opportunity to be born into a royal family. And so we think simultaneously about uh, the vulnerability of a young child, but we begin to also ask questions about the glory and the potential power that will come as we anticipate the fact that a new king has been born. And we get that in part as uh, Matthew is, is clear to show that Jesus comes from the line of David, from the kingly line. But it has been generations and generations and generations since the nation of Israel has had a newborn king. They've they've continued to have this family line, but this sense and expectation that maybe one day there will be a new king is something that they longed for, but you wouldn't have faulted them if they had started to give up hope in the possibility of that. And so uh, Matthew is, is reminding us of from whence Jesus came to highlight the goodness of this new and coming king, to remind them of the promises that have been laid down before, the promises to Abraham, the promises to David, that there would be a king, that there would never be a, a time where, where, where God would be unfaithful to his promise to ensure that somebody would rule a son of David for the nation of Israel. And so even if we don't know the full story of all of these people, that's part of what uh, Matthew is taking the time to remind us. This isn't simply uh, the celebration of a birth. The birth of this child is going to have profound implications for the future, that we're going to wonder what's going to happen. What kind of uh, king is this going to be? And so then Matthew goes on uh, in part of how he's written this is to remind us not only is this a a newborn king that he's about to uh, tell us about that we're going to celebrate but this is also the eternal king that though something new is happening in human history at a moment in time in a specific family what is being revealed in the birth of this newborn king is there's a way in which this king has actually been ruling and reigning. And so we're going to come to understand him in a new way and learn new things about him, 
But this king who is born is actually the eternal king. And one of the ways that Matthew does that is most of the times when genealogies are, are written in the Bible, they're written to tell us about everybody who comes after somebody important. And so uh, if we go to our Old Testaments, we'll read about Adam and then everybody that came from Adam. And then we might read about Abraham and everybody that came from Adam. And we usually read genealogies to read about the descendants of somebody. Who came after them? And part of their significance is where they came from. Here, the genealogy is not focused on the descendants of Jesus. It's focused on the ancestors of Jesus. It's looking backwards and actually making a profound theological point. That it's not that Jesus ultimately becomes significant uh, just by who he came from, but that everybody before him finds their ultimate significance because of him because of his birth. That Abraham is Abraham because eventually Jesus the Christ was born. That David is David because eventually Jesus the Christ was born. He's been the one who's always been ruling and reigning. He's the one who's been the promise maker in previous generations. And so though this is happening now in time and space, there's this reminder that he's actually been part of the story all along. And that we wouldn't get to where we were in the story had he not been faithful in the past. And so there's this reminder of the faithfulness of this king in the past. And when we talk about things that are eternal, we're looking both backwards and we're looking forwards. And so though Matthew is writing this, now after Jesus has died and we don't know exactly how much after again usually somebody would then take the time to record well then who are the descendants of this Jesus who's going to be the next king after him and Matthew is saying there are no descendants after Jesus there's no king that rules and reigns after him because his kingdom never comes to an end he will never not be reigning over this kingdom. So that the gospel of Matthew, where it ends, is by Jesus, now resurrected from the dead, saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so he tells his disciples to go into all the world, teaching people what he said, and baptizing them in his name. But he says it as the king who's on the throne who's still ruling and reigning, sovereign in all of history past and active and present and ruling and reigning for eternity future. And so we are not now waiting and wondering the question of, well, who, who might reign after Jesus? There, there are branches of the Christian church that might debate who is or is not the appropriate successor to Peter or some of the other apostles, and they'll debate that. But nobody debates. There's not a branch of the Christian church. There hasn't been a second of time where somebody has said, who is the successor to Jesus the Christ? There's only one Christ. And he rules and reigns forever. He's the king. 
There was a moment in time when he was the newborn king, but he is the eternal king who is and always will be ruling and reigning over his church that he purchased with his blood, but also over eternity that he oversees from eternity past to the future. And when we start to then think about a king and his eternality, we, we should begin asking questions about what character this king is. Uh, what's, he, what's he like? And when we're asking what he's like, we're also beginning to ask what we wonder that his own kingdom might be like. And the rest of the gospel unfolds that. So this is uh, setting us up to say, be prepared. We're, we're announcing a newborn king and an eternal king. And as we read the rest of the story, we learn about the character of this king, what he's like and what his kingdom is also going to be like. And that's really important, just as important for us to consider. Because if when we imagine this king, we think that he is good and kind and great and beautiful, it will cause us to rejoice at the announcement of his birth. It'll cause us to rejoice at how long and enduring his reign will last. But if we have questions about his goodness and his purpose and his character, then we could have anxiety around the fact that this king has come, that somebody is new in power if we don't trust their motivations. This morning over breakfast, uh, Amy came early to uh, practice with the praise team, and so I was doing cereal uh, with the boys, and we don't talk a ton about Santa in our house, but our youngest, as we were eating breakfast, just said, Daddy, how's Santa even going to get in here? We don't have a chimney. And I was kind of wondering what the older brothers would say to him in response to that question, and so I said, yeah, you know, we don't have a chimney, but I don't think we're probably the first people in the world that didn't have a chimney, and so I don't think this is a new problem. And then I started uh, saying out loud all the other ways somebody could get into our house. And I'm like, you know, we have a window, we have a door, we have a... And then all of a sudden I realized, you know, probably identifying everything of vulnerability in our house might not be the best thing to do. Like, I'm trying to assure someone, and I might accidentally cause some anxiety here. Uh, we still can't get our kids to watch Home Alone, because that is one of the narratives that they're like, I don't want to think about anybody, like, not being here that's not supposed to be here. I think we're like a year away. I think by next year we can finally get them to watch Home Alone. So when the question came this morning, I realized that it was an easy question, even for the youngest, because immediately the thoughts were around the goodness of it. That, that there was no sense of fear. It was whatever way there is to get in and to bless us, like, how is that going to happen? But because in his mind there's a goodness to it, there's no fear. And that's the same thing. When we consider the claims of the gospel and its message and the king and who has come, that we have to ask ourselves, uh, not just do we believe that he is the king, but if he is, what type of king is he? He would later teach his disciples uh, as an adult, as they gathered around him, and uh, to pray, and he told them to pray, our Father who, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, and your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that, that, that we would long for this, that it's actually the desire of our heart. And he would tell his disciples to seek first the kingdom and that everything else would be added unto them. 
And so when we begin to understand it and believe that there's a goodness in it, then we'll desire it, we'll long for it. And we'll begin to say, yes, please come. And here, Jesus is uh, already fulfilling part of that promise, even before he's taught his disciples that they're supposed to pray for it. And there is, again, a way in which he's revealing just how good he is. That the Gospel of Matthew just announces this newborn king, this eternal king who's coming, and he didn't wait around for his disciples to beg him to come. He came so that he could know them, call them to follow him, and then help them understand that what they actually long for all the time is his kingdom to come. And so then he would invite them to passionately pray for it, to teach other people to pray for it. And so there's something about that forethought on the part of God to have planned this from all of eternity that reveals again his goodness and his character, that he did it on his own. This morning, uh, the first news story that I read about was a, a generous and unexpected donation that Mackenzie Scott made to a charity in Cincinnati of $2.2 million. And it's a Christian faith-based uh, medical outreach called Crossroads Healthcare, I believe. And they didn't ever ask for it. And so they, they actually thought it was a scam when, the, when they were told and got a letter that a certain amount of money was coming their way. Because it just totally shocked them that without making the plea, without even asking for it, somebody else thought about them and they said it, um, that single donation amounted to about a decade's worth of donations for this healthcare organization. And again, you read about that and you're like, wow, isn't that awesome? How generous, how, how kind that not, oh, they had to beg for it. Oh, th they had to do all these things and run, jump through all these hoops in order to get it. No, that somebody else thought about it for them and was willing to be generous in the giving of it. And our king, who is eternal, who knows each and every one of us, isn't waiting on us to bring about his kingdom. He is already doing everything that's necessary. He's already been born before he teaches his disciples to pray, your kingdom come. There's another way in which this genealogy that this point is driven home of just how good and kind he is. That yes, he is the king of the Jews, and it's primarily uh, the Jews who celebrate his birth, but even in this genealogy, it highlights uh, four different times people who are connected to this genealogy who are not Jewish by birth, who were grafted in, who came from the outside, who might have had uh, a questionable reputation at times for some of them, or just a painful past for others of them. And so there are names in here of Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and a reminder of Uriah the Hittite's wife to again say that this eternal king is a good and kind king, that though he will come from uh, the line of David and on the cross they will inscribe king of the Jews, he is the king of the Jews who is also the hope of the Gentiles. He's the hope of the whole world. And that's good news that we learn as we read his story. And so Matthew, in opening this way and highlighting all of these names for us, is also reminding us that this kingdom is an accessible kingdom. That any one of us, because it is eternal, and because he came for the whole world, 
can actually consider the claims uh, that it brings to us. We can continue reading the story and accept the challenge that he put before his disciples to seek first the kingdom and to believe that all the other things that would be added to us, that we can ourselves enter into prayer and ask, God, would your kingdom come and would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? That becomes a prayer for us individually in our own lives. God, would you begin to rule and reign in my own heart? If I don't want my own life to simply be about me and getting the things I want, but I want to honor you as the one who's given me my life, you as the one who's been generous and thought about me before I was even born, I want to serve you. We can pray that in our individual lives. We can pray that into our relationships. God, I want in my home that your kingdom would come and it would be in our home as it is in heaven. I want the goodness of who you are to be experienced in the way we love one another and talk to one another and treat one another. We can pray that in our neighborhoods, in our community, that the inbreaking of this kingdom that we celebrate happened 2,000 years ago could continue to break in into our hearts, into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our community, in all the ways that his children join in this prayer get caught up in the beauty and the glory of who he is and all that he's done and recognize it is the best news in the world that he's the king forever. And we show that by our glad and joyful allegiance to that king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the the challenge that it gives us that we can know and celebrate you as as the king who was born to rule and reign forever. We thank you that we don't then have to look for another one, that we can put all of our thought and effort and emotions into the consideration of your son. We thank you that uh, faithful servants of yours took the time to tell us about him, to help us see him in his beauty and glory, that we could marvel at both his vulnerability and birth, but also begin to appreciate and stand in awe and wonder at his power, at his rule and reign. Father, we thank you that as a, as a good king, you don't force us into your kingdom, but you invite us to, to desire and long to be part of this. And that you promise that through your Holy Spirit, you can change our hearts from resistance to allegiance. And so we pray that you would allow that work to happen in us. Help us not to be like others who eventually will read about who resisted your word, who resisted your kingdom, who who wanted to choose selfishness rather than salvation. Uh, Father, help that not to be our story. Help us to receive all that you in your goodness desire to give us. And then we ask that you would use us to continue to build your kingdom on this earth, to continue to bring peace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.